Hear now the word of the Lord. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering basket, or box, excuse me. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that you would attend the preaching of your word. Be with us this morning as we hear your word, that you would encourage us, that you would quicken our hearts to love you more and to serve you more. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I had a very interesting week this week, past week. I was privileged to be out of town for a couple days at a conference in New Orleans. I had never been to New Orleans. As a side note, uh, there's no need for me to ever go back. Um, you like it? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I was actually at the French Quarter. I have no desire to ever go back there whatsoever. Uh, but at this conference, the keynote speaker was a, a fellow by the name of Rob O'Neill. Rob O'Neill is a 17-year Navy SEAL. He's been on over 400 combat missions. He has 52 medals. And he's most, well, as I said, practically every mission we've ever heard of SEAL Team 6, he was on. Most famously, he was on the mission that saved uh, Captain Phillips the, uh, the, from the Pirates, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, Captain Phillips. But more importantly, and for his most notoriety, he's the guy that shot Osama bin Laden. And he was our keynote speaker. And uh, it was the fastest one hour I can remember in a very long time. But he told the story of, because basically it was, a, it was called Never Give Up, was his speech, but really it was just all about Navy SEALs and what they all go through, what the training is, and what they put themselves through, how they push themselves to the limits. And he told a story of just getting into, uh, to become a SEAL. It's a seven-month training, and at the very end they have one last drill they go through. And that last drill is that they take a rope and they put it at the bottom of a 14-foot pool with two ends. They suspend the rope across and they give the uh, the candidate, again, the last test, an 18-inch rope. And on one breath, the, uh, the instructor will say to them, you need to dive down to the bottom and tie an X knot, a, a square knot. And stay there and I'll come down and inspect it. So down they'll go to 14 foot, tie the knot, look back up, give the thumbs up. The instructor who's above, treading water with a snorkel, will then descend down, inspect the knot, and as he said, it's always wrong the first time. We'll go like this to them, and he'll descend back up. While they're still there, they have to then untie the knot, show the 18 inches is good again, then retie it. Then he'll come back down again and look at it and give you the thumbs up of which they can ascend to the surface, get one breath, and give a second knot they have to tie. 
a different kind. Go right back down, do the same drill. They have to tie five knots. They do this five times down there, underwater, 14 feet, doing it at least twice. He told the story of his best friend at the time, John was his name, went down on the final knot, on the final time, John drowned. And as they pulled him out, the instructor pulled him out, put him up on the side, they were running around, bringing the uh, whatever EMR equipment they would need, emergency equipment, the, the drill instructor realized there was not enough time and began to work uh, his chest, try to get him to breathe again. He said he remembers him hollering, come back to the lake, trying to call, get him back. And sure enough, working his chest, he actually spit the water back out and came back to life. And his very first question as he came back to life was, did I pass? And the, uh, the drill instructor uh, said to him, or the teacher said to him, look, I'll let you on a secret. My job here isn't to see if you can tie the knots. My job is to see just how far you'll push yourself. You killed yourself. You passed the test. But that shows the dedication of the SEALs that they're willing to kill themselves underwater to tie a knot to become a SEAL. That's the dedication they have. They're all in, if you would. This morning... We're going to examine a story that is essentially the same. A widow who is all in and is sacrificing all that she has. The story comes to us at the temple. Now, the temple itself in those days, in Jesus' days, had an outer area called the Court of Gentiles. It was a huge area. Uh, on the, If we're looking at it, it would be on the left. That, that's where anyone can go in. Uh, that's where, when Jesus throws up the money changers, that's where it's at. It's anybody that's commerce going on there. Anyone can go there. However, once you pass through what's called the court of Gentiles, you will go into an area called the court of women. You can't get past that and be a Gentile. This is strictly for God's people, the Jews, to come into. This is the court of women. It's roughly 200 square foot, so it's not as big as this room, perhaps half the size. There were several gates to get in, but this is where the offering uh, baskets, I keep referring to them as offering baskets, where the offering areas were. There were 11 of them. There were actually, some of them were actually dedicated for specific purposes. There was a tax, for instance, uh, a temple tax. Some were for strictly for giving. They were called trumpets because they were upside down. They were kind of in a bell shape. And so you'd put your offering in at the top. And they were, they were scattered around uh, this area. And you would come in and, and contribute to any one of those particular areas, depending on what you were giving for. So this is the scene of which we see Jesus is in there, and he's, in essence, people watching. Now, Jesus isn't wasting time. Uh, he wouldn't do that. So he's watching, just as we do. I mean, I, again, I like to travel. When I'm traveling, I like to people watch. I don't know if you go to the mall, you like to people watch. It's always interesting just to see what people are doing. Um, or that poor soul that's running in the airport. I always like that one because I'm just glad it's not me that has to run, right? Uh, so Jesus is people watching. And he's seeing the rich people come through, and they're giving theirs. Now, the way they were, again, at the top, apparently it was done in such a way that you could see what people were actually giving. I don't know if it was just a slot at the top, and they would pull out a pouch and pull and, you know, make sure people saw. I, I, I don't know. We don't have enough detail from history to know. But we do know this. It was always done visibly, and you could see what was being given. So the rich people are coming through, and they're giving. And they're giving great sums, it says. And notice the scripture doesn't condemn them for that. Uh, there's no there's no negative comments here put. However, when we go a little farther, I think we can infer into that something. 
Uh, but in that scene of Jesus watching his disciples and all these rich coming through and giving into the basket, in comes, perhaps out of the corner of his eye, in comes a widow. Now, we shouldn't assume the age, especially back then when health wasn't like it is now. She could have been very young. She could have been in her 20s. She could have had a child with her. Uh, it doesn't say. So we should not assume uh, the age here. It's just a widow is all it says. But she is one of the lowly of society. And she comes in and she gives what the scriptures say is two coins. And she puts them in and drops them in. And collectively, that equals about a penny, it says. Now, you know, we're not into the currency conversion for this story. But that is the smallest amount in their currency that she could have given. So in fairness, in one way, as we look at the child sermon, the kid sermon today, it could have been, and for us to relate, it could have been two pennies. Now, some people have attempted to do currency conversion and say, okay, how was that in today's dollars? I've read, it, at best, it was $2. Um, depends on how you want to try to figure that out. At best, it was a couple bucks. Uh, at, at, more, at worst, and probably what it was, it probably was just a few pennies in today's value. That's all she had. And she comes and she deposits that in. It was her last, the scriptures said. She's out of money. This is it. And she makes her deposit. And that's the scene of the story from which we consider this morning. We're going to look at it from just a couple perspectives. We're going to look at it first from the uh, the previous passage on from the rich perspective as they came through. And then we'll look at it from her perspective. First, if we notice that we really shouldn't take the story out of context. That's why I read chapter, or verses 38 through uh, 40. This story is told twice. It's told in, uh, told in the book of Mark. It's also told in Luke. In Luke, it actually starts out and the, and as he sat down opposite. As, as the beginning of the chapter. You won't even in your mind even see the what's previously. So we have a tendency, I think, and as often does, we hear this sermon a lot around the time we're building some kind of a building program, right? Sacrificial giving. I don't think that's what this passage is teaching at all. Uh, certainly, the, uh, the element of the story is money. I think it's teaching much more than that. What we see is the rich coming through. Now, in the other telling of the story in Luke, they're actually referred to as the scribes and Pharisees. And so the rich, they're Jews. Remember, you can't get into this section. So they're of the rich and elite within the church. And they come through, and they're giving large sums. Again, no condemnation in this passage about that, because that's not really the point. What I think we're seeing highlighted in this passage, though, is the corruption of the temple. Because it was very clearly known in those days the widows of society and the poor were the responsibility of the elite and of the church to take care of. Several passages in the Old Testament make this very clear. Uh, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitutes. Isaiah 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. There was an entire system set up just in harvesting grain to make sure that those with cared for those without. 
So what was happening here is the wealthy were coming and giving money in large sums, and they weren't even taking care of what they were supposed to be doing, was taking care of those in society who needed help. Jesus was pointing out in this section previously what the corruption of the temple really was. Not very long after this, he goes and cleans out the money changers. Perhaps this was even on his mind as he did so, to know that those destitute in society were not being cared for by those who had responsibility to do so. In essence, the temple should have been giving to her. Instead, we see she's giving to it. So here she comes. She comes walking through. Again, we don't know her age. And Jesus says two things that I think are really astounding. The first, he says, she gave out of her poverty. Now, consider this, out of her poverty. What does he mean by that? I think we have a tendency to simply think he's referring to how much money she had. But I don't think that's what he's referring to. It may be in part, but I think it's deeper. She's a widow. In that society, she really had no way to make a living. She was totally dependent upon that church. So she's coming to the church, to the synagogue, with only two cents left. Clearly, she already knows the corruption within the church that should have been given to her. They were literally, as Jesus says, devouring her house. Their job was to care for her, to give her advice, to counsel her. And instead, apparently, somehow they're extracting from her. They're convincing her that she needs to give more. They're not taking care of her. We don't know exactly, but Jesus refers to as devouring her house. She has two coins left. And yet she still comes out of her poverty with that's all she has. And think of the humiliation. She's coming into the temple in front of those who are abusing her. A front of those that should be caring for her. Her spiritual leaders, if you would. Those who are provisioned by God to give to her, knowing full well they're not. She has two cents left. That should never have been the case. She should not have been that destitute. She comes into the temple to give what she has left in front of those who are at that very moment, in essence, taking advantage of her. That had to be humbling for her to do that. There's probably a lesson in there alone just for us. For we leave church these days on a whole lot more simple things than that. You know, we don't like the music. We're changing churches. Uh, somebody's not friendly enough to us. You know, we're changing churches. We don't like the the uh, the, the flow. Whatever reasons, you know, we are, we're we're adults. We know what goes on on why we change churches. She walked in the middle of those who were taking advantage of her at that very moment, financially not caring for her and providing for her to give those last two cents she had. I think that is what Jesus meant by out of her poverty, knowing where she was in society, in front of those that were actually doing it to her, she still brought her money to give. That's why I said I don't think this is about money as much as it's about attitude. And then Jesus says something else. Jesus knows, he says, for they contributed out of their abundance. 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. She had to live on, excuse me. And Luke, it says, she gave her all. He knows why. How is it that Jesus says those two pennies, the smallest amount of coin in their currency, was more than those rich people? How is it that just two pennies, or one penny, or one dollar, the point doesn't really change, is more than all the money that those rich men were giving. How is it? It's the same principle that we read in, in several of the, of the Gospels. Think of that small boy and his fish. Jesus is, is, is on the side of a hill. It's Passover weekend. And, of course, we know there's everyone's coming because it's Passover weekend. There's a mass movement towards Jerusalem. And he's got well over 5,000. That's just men. 5,000 coming to the hill. Up this hill, he sees them coming, and they have to provide. And, of course, the disciples, not seeing the big picture, are all concerned about how they're going to feed 5,000-plus people. And up comes a boy with two fish and five loaves. And Andrew says, well, i got this boy over here with two fish and five loaves to feed you know, thousands. And Jesus says, that'll do. He was able, Jesus takes the little bits of society, the little bit of contribution that was given to him in faith. And he takes that little bit and he feeds 5,000 plus, right? Even so much that there's baskets left over. We've heard this story many times in Sunday school. That widow comes in with two pennies, but she comes in total faith. Her desire for the kingdom, she comes in with that. And Jesus says, because man looks on the outward appearance, right? God looks on the heart. And she says, or Jesus says, she gave more than what they gave. Because he's able to do with two loaves, or excuse me, five loaves and two fish, or just two pennies. He's able to do miraculous things when it's given in faith more than what those rich people gave. What's our takeaway this morning from this? Well, I have a question for you. What is it that you have that's not a gift? You know those two cents that that widow had? Almost almost for sure had to have been a gift to her. She had no way of making an income. It was probably what was left of the church's last contribution, however meager it might have been, it was probably what was left from the church that was given to her. She was taking what little gifts she had and she was bringing it back. What is it that you have this morning that's not given to you? If you just think about it, well, you have a very nice home. I earned, uh, worked very hard for it. Really? And how did you work hard for it? Well, I'm a carpenter. And where did you get your strength? Well, I'm 6'4 and really strong. And how did you become 6'4 and really strong? God gave you that. Uh, I'm a uh, I'm a rocket scientist. Make lots of money. Okay, how'd you get that? Well, I'm really smart. Well, and how are you smart? Because God gave you your mind. If you think of it, nothing we have is of us. It's all a gift to us. Romans chapter twelve says. Now remember Romans twelve. When we get to Romans 12, Paul is writing his opus, if you would, on salvation, right? Romans chapter 9, 
he lays out, look, before Jacob and Esau were even born, before they're their mom's womb, I chose Jacob so that my plans of election could be carried out. You, there's nothing you did to earn your salvation. Jacob and Esau hadn't done anything wrong yet in mom's womb, and yet I chose Jacob, and I hated Esau. He says to us, Paul says to us, okay, now that you get just how miraculous and wonderful your salvation is, that you did nothing to earn it, zero, you didn't do anything to earn these incredible riches that you're going to receive both now and the life to come forever and ever, Paul says, now what? That you understand your salvation. He says in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the King James and some of the older ones say, which is your reasonable service. The ESV translates it, your spiritual worship. Now that you know just how much you've been given, give it back. Present your body a living sacrifice. No matter what you've been given, give it back. You know, we're not like the temple in those days. The Holy Spirit has gifted all of us through salvation with spiritual gifts. He didn't miss any of us. We all have a gift, or more than one. You know, Peter, when they were, before they were following Jesus, they were fishermen. Jesus didn't come and say, okay, now we're going to change your occupation. He just changed their motive. Now we're going to be fishermen, fishers of men, not fishers for fish. You have gifts. We all have gifts. We were given them by God himself. Nothing we have, it didn't come from him. And Paul says, present your body as a sacrifice. Give it back. Give all of it back. Just like the widow. She gave all she had and she gave it back. We have our gifts. The widow teaches us to give it back. Give it all back. It's not about the quantity. Some of us are specifically gifted in other areas and it seems like it might be a lot. Some of us don't seem to have a lot of gifts. At least we don't think we do, right? Well, I don't really have a, I don't really have a lot of gifts here or there and all oh, that person there has a lot. That's not it. It's not about the quantity. The widow's might tells us that. It's not about the quantity. The question is, are you giving it back for the kingdom? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read something that's extremely known to us. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. In light of what we're hearing, no matter what we have, this is why the widow... Two cents is more. She said when she gave it, I would rather the kingdom succeed than to be worried about my next meal. She had two cents. I'd rather give it to the kingdom than worry about my next meal. See what it says as Jesus teaches in the parable or Sermon on the Mount, verse 25. And hear it with that in your mind. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, how practical this is, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. 
They never sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into, oven, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Was not the widow doing that? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Was not that exactly what the widow was doing? I'm seeking first the kingdom. All I have is just this little bit. But I would rather give it to the kingdom than, I, than eat. I will trust you for my meal more than I will, than as, as important as it is to me. I would rather the kingdom go forward than my next meal. That is really practical faith. And also rather hard for us to carry out. Isn't it? How do we in our daily lives do that? I mean, you say, I'm just an IT guy. That's what I am. I'm just an IT guy. I'm a pilot. I, I work in electricity. I work with water. Well, how do I do that? Right? I mean, how does that, how's that actually affect me? Well, we all are gifted, are we not? Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Maybe we have the gift of giving. There's all sorts of spiritual gifts that we're given. You can pray for someone at work. You can find that person at work that is down and encourage them. You don't have to be gifted in one to do another service. You have the gift of giving. It isn't just money. Maybe you have some free time. Maybe you have the gift of time that you can reach out and be relational with someone that you haven't before. What are the gifts that God has given you that Paul says, give it back. Give it back for the kingdom. Give it back in faith, knowing that God can take the smallest of gifts and make it feed thousands of people. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Maybe you just really enjoy encouraging other people. You know, all the gifts we have, whether it's teaching, encouragement, it isn't just for in these walls. I mean, we have Sunday school. Right, all the ways, think of all the ways you can do just right here in this building that you can give. We have nursery duty. We have Sunday school teachers. The, the ladies give us tremendous gifts every time we go over and have fellowship. They're back there working while we're fellowshipping. They're giving back because they're using those gifts that God gave them. Every day we can pray. Every day we can give. Every day we can encourage. I don't know what your gifts are. You do. Use them. Don't use them for you. Use them for God's kingdom. Give them back. Colossians 3.23, as we close, says this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says in verse 17, right above that, chapter 3, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We all have our gifts, just as the widows might, and they may not be very much. That's not the point. The point is, knowing how great our salvation is, knowing what God has done for us, out of gratitude, give them back and serve him. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, we have a tendency to enjoy the gifts you've given us for us. I pray you encourage us, remind us to always be seeking your kingdom, to not worry about what we're going to wear, to not worry about what we're going to eat, to not worry about what we're going to drink, but to give our gifts sold out for you and that your kingdom would prosper and you would take our meager, small gifts and expand them mightily for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.